All right, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. I'm going to skip the review tonight and jump right in. How many of you are thankful that you didn't write your own story, that God wrote it for you? Praise God for that. Look at Acts chapter 28. Look at verse 31. I guess verse 30 for the context. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. A couple of things. Uh, I had another point to my message this morning, but I, I didn't want it to get too long because I knew we had baptisms and things today. Um, but this was from Alexander McLaren, and he has a message at the end of his commentary called uh, Paul at Rome. And this was a really cool point. Who would have ever thought that the most important person to ever live in Rome was in that house jail at that time? If you would have asked people there, who's the most significant person in Rome right now? They would have said Caesar. And yet Caesar has been relegated to the dustbin of history. And the Apostle Paul has influenced lives from that point until today. Isn't that amazing? And on into eternity. So that contrast that the world rarely understands greatness when greatness is in their presence. And I really thought of that because someday you guys won't have me as your pastor. And you knew that was coming, didn't you? Somebody knew that was, that was coming. Can you imagine the people that came to see Paul in that house? They had no idea. They had no idea what God was giving them at that time. So young people, when you look at the famous people today and um, what would be really fun is if you could get pictures of the people that your parents had on the wall when they were teenagers and find out where those people are today. You know, they're, they're dead, they're in prison, you know, they're whatever, right? It's just hilarious. The people that the world elevates, those aren't the people that God wants you to emulate. They're not the people that God wants you to admire. And so that contrast, if you looked at the, if you compared who the Apostle Paul was at that point in the estimation of the people compared to Caesar, who would be the more important person at that time? And yet look at what God did. So it's just interesting to me. Let's have a biblical estimation of greatness. You know, let's, let's look at the people that have influenced people for eternity. And Paul was certainly that. Now, look with me there again at verse 31. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. We get a lot of that information about what Paul was teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ by going to the book of Romans. So I've got just 11 statements tonight of things that the Apostle Paul taught about Jesus. So what was Paul teaching these people in um, this house in Rome. What was he teaching them? Well, we have some examples of those. The first one is salvation by grace through faith. Salvation by grace through faith. And we get that information in Romans chapters 2 through 4. Now, we're not going to read all of those chapters, but look at chapter 4 with me. Romans 4, look at verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining the flesh hath found? 
For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, we know that Abraham did some great things, but that's not what God counted to him for righteousness. He believed him. And that's an example of someone from the Old Testament. How was he saved? By believing God. How are people saved today? By believing God. It's really important. Now, the message was a little different. What did he have to believe? Well, you need to go into a far country, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. That's what he had to believe. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins, and yet salvation is always only by grace through faith. That's it. So salvation by grace through faith, that's what Paul was teaching them. Then the second thing is justification without works, and that's in chapters 3 and 4. Look just for a brief account of it. Look at verse 5, chapter Romans 4 and verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. This is a really important verse, so I want to read this again slowly. I want you to really think about this. But to him that worketh not... But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. There's some really important teaching in this verse. One thing is the Calvinists, those who believe in Reformed theology, the Calvinists believe that that God saves you and then you believe. You're saved and then you believe. Now, how many of you know that that's ridiculous? It's just absolutely ridiculous. Because what they say is... If you have to believe to be saved, if you have to have faith to be saved, that faith is a work. You're doing something to be saved. Let's look at this verse again. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. So believing on God is not a work. How many of you can see that right from the text? Am I making it up or is it just crystal clear? So the thing you have to remember, these Calvinists, their authority is not the Bible. Their authority is their theology, their Reformed theology, not the Scriptures. I'm glad that we have an authoritative standard here that every man can either believe it or reject it, but this is the truth of the Word of God. So that's the first thing that I want you to see in that verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So faith is not a work. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works. Faith is not a work, all right? That's the first thing from that verse. Second thing from this verse that's really important, look at what it says in the middle of the verse. But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, the Bible says here, he justifies Not good people. He justifies the ungodly. Isn't that a blessing? You don't have to get cleaned up to take a bath. You take a bath to get cleaned up. Jesus Christ, there's nothing you can bring to him. There's nothing you can offer him that can contribute to your salvation. The only thing that's necessary is what he brought to it. His own righteousness and his precious blood. He has given us the gift of eternal life. And it is... God, it's Jesus Christ that justifies the ungodly. So first of all, salvation by grace through faith. And secondly, justification without works. This is what the Apostle Paul was teaching in Rome. Next, spirit baptism, putting the believer into Christ. 
So look at Romans chapter 6. Spirit baptism, putting the believer into Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall, also, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on. So this right here, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? No, no. Why? Because we have been baptized into Jesus Christ at his death. So keep your place in the book of Romans. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. had a phone appointment with someone today, and um, he's training a group of preachers in another country, and there's some trouble in those churches because you have different groups of Baptists that they're working with, and they have all these divisions among these churches. And so you have young men, of course, that are trying to start churches, and they don't want to be called Baptist because supposedly that name has too much baggage. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like that? And the name of this church, do you remember the name of the church? Vertical Ascension. No, Vertical Access. The name of this church is Vertical Access. I don't even know what that means. Of course, I told him about the ramp. <laughs> That's what we're going to change our church to, the ramp. Let's take off to Jesus. Um... So what has happened is you've got a group of churches that there was this, this old school group of missionaries that had gone there, Baptist missionaries, and they had made things like dress standards equal with biblical doctrine. And they had emphasized this local church only thing so that the only body of Christ is a local assembly, that there's no such thing as the body of Christ, the spiritual body. There's no such thing as spirit baptism. And so what I told this guy, I said, so you've got this local church only heresy that's causing guys to run away from the faith. And because your Baptist doctrine was not biblical doctrine, they think that they have to leave Baptist doctrine to effectively minister in the culture. No, the only true Baptist doctrine is biblical doctrine. If you can't find it in here, don't teach it. And so this was a verse that I took him to. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we... What's that next word? Let's, and I know some of you just turned there. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we... What's it say? 
all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And so this body of Christ is, do you know what the body of Christ is? Do you know what that means in the Greek? His body. Where is Jesus Christ's body right now? It's seated at the right hand of the Father. Is that where Jesus Christ's body is right now? Is anyone confused about that? No. People get this weird idea about some spiritual, mystical thing. No, Jesus' body was nailed to the cross. Jesus' body was put in the tomb. Jesus' body rose bodily, physically, visibly. And that body ascended to the right hand of the Father. And that body is coming back someday. Amen? And the Bible says that when we get saved, we are spiritually baptized into Him, into that one body, Jesus Christ. And the only visible expression of that on earth is the local church, the local New Testament church. But you don't have to be a member of a local church to be in the body of Christ. Amen? It's very important that we get that. That's what Paul is teaching in Romans chapter 6. It's spirit baptism, putting the believer into Christ. The reason that that's so important is because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for our sin. How does that apply to me? I am spiritually dead. Jesus Christ saves me. I'm spiritually made alive. How does that happen? I am baptized into his death by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what the Bible says here. That's what Romans chapter 6 is about. It's so important that we understand this. Water baptism does not save anyone. Spirit baptism is our salvation. When does that take place? At salvation. That's what your salvation is. You are saved from sin, and at the moment of your salvation, you are baptized into the body of of Jesus Christ. And that water baptism is a picture, it's a physical picture of the spiritual reality. That doesn't accomplish it, that pictures it. Really important that we understand that distinction. Okay, next. We also learn premillennialism. Premillennialism, what is that? That is the teaching that Jesus Christ will return before the establishing of the kingdom. Before the establishing of the kingdom. Look at Romans chapter 11. Verse 25, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So he is establishing, yes, he came to Israel to establish his kingdom. They rejected him. Now now he is establishing a spiritual kingdom. But he's going to come back to the earth to establish a physical kingdom. And when he does that, all Israel shall be saved. All Israel, well, all of the Israel that's left as they come through the tribulation period. So really important that we get that. Premillennialism is established. Um, Don't forget this, really important. 
People sometimes say that subjects like premillennialism, those are secondary issues. They're not that important. So get about a third of your Bible. Hold up your Bible and get about a third of it. Everybody? Everybody play along. If you have an electronic Bible, you're in trouble. All right? Everybody got your Bible? Now rip all of that out and throw it away. I did that. I was on Baptist History Tour and did that, and one of the guys ripped a bulletin at the back of the thing really loud. It was hilarious. That's how significant it is. For every one prophecy of his first coming, there are 11 prophecies of his second coming. An entire third of your Bible is devoted to that kingdom, the premillennial return of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ establishing that kingdom. One third of your Bible is about that. Sometimes people wonder, why do you talk about prophecy so much? Well, it's a third of the Bible. You cannot teach the Bible without teaching biblical prophecy. So Paul establishing that, interpreting those Old Testament passages for us, it's so important. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 7. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. We understand those Old Testament passages through the writing of the Apostle Paul. That's how we understand those. All right? That's what Paul is telling us. It's very important that we understand the significance of his premillennial teaching. The next is the restoration of the nation of Israel. And we just looked at that in chapter 5. So the premillennialism and the restoration of Israel, can you see how those go hand in hand? That's, that's the purpose of it. When Jesus Christ comes back, he establishes his kingdom from his throne, the throne of David in the capital city of Jerusalem on Mount Zion. So premillennialism and the establishment of the nation of Israel is so important. How many of you have seen that guy on the Internet, uh, Stephen Anderson? Have you ever seen, have you heard of Stephen Anderson? This guy is a pinhead. Um, he went to the same college I did. Uh, James Knox texted me yesterday. And uh, Stephen Anderson has become so popular. He's got a church of like 80 people or something in Phoenix, just little church. But he's gotten popular online. So he posted a sermon last week, 54,000 views on one of his sermons. And it's independent Baptists that are listening to this pinhead. And he does not believe that Israel exists anymore. He doesn't believe there's any such thing as the Jewish nation. He does not believe that God is going to bring back the nation of Israel. He believes that we're going to be raptured halfway through the tribulation period, that we are now spiritual Israel. There's no such thing as physical Israel. And I say, liar, liar, pants on fire. So this is really important that we understand. Don't be swayed by people who teach that kind of garbage because they become very anti-Semitic. He, he is, um, I get his, I'm on his email list, and I keep getting his emails just to see what's going on with what they're doing. He's uh, advertising this movie called The Holocaust Hoax. The whole point of this is that, of what he's teaching, is that the Holocaust never happened. That's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. I worked with a man named, or for a man, he was my boss, Saul Rosner, who had the tattoo. He had been in the camps as a kid. His entire family died in the camps. Can you imagine if I told him that was a hoax, that somebody was lying to him? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's amazing what people will do to try and prove some kind of theological point. You can't change history. 
It happened. It happened because there are evil people that hate God's people. We don't hate God's people. We love them and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God is going to restore Israel. God doesn't want us to be ignorant about that. The restoration of the nation of Israel. That's what Paul taught. Then Christian conduct and rules on doubtful things. Christian conduct and rules on doubtful things. So let's look at Romans chapter 12 for an example of this. Verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For this I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of another. And he goes on to talk about the different gifts that we have. And he talks about how we're supposed to deal with people. Look at verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. It's so funny. God knows us. So if you've got an enemy, if you're nice to him, it'll drive your enemy nuts. So if you really want to get back at your enemy, be nice to him. So what do we do? We demonstrate the love of Christ and we get a little vengeance at the same time. Isn't that exactly what that passage is telling us? In other words, let God fight it. Let God care for it. Let God deal with it. So this is just simple things, Christian conduct, how to handle uh, doubtful things. Look at verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So what are we supposed to do with human government? Submit to human government. Whatever that government is, that is the government that we're supposed to be under and respect. The Bible tells us how to handle these things. We're not going to be like the Amish and completely retreat from interaction with government. That's not what the Bible says at all. We're supposed to interact with government. We hold them accountable in our system of government and we submit to the laws that are passed. As we were building this building, we did everything we could to be in the proper codes that the government requires for our city. And that made it so much easier for us as we built the building. We just, they knew that we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that this building is right according to the codes. That's biblical. That's what we're supposed to do, okay? Then, I'm not going to spend any time on this because we just did. The fact that there is one body. We just read some of that in Romans chapter 12. There is one body, and it's the body of Christ. It's not a local assembly on this earth. Let me tell you where this becomes really important. Um, how many of you have heard of the term the universal church? How many of you have heard of that, the universal church? Well, the universal church concept comes from Roman Catholicism. Um, who knows what the word Catholic means? Universal. So the concept of a universal church is a physical, what that means is a physical universal church on this earth. And so when Augustine was killing the Donatist pastors, those, those Baptists in Numidia, northern Africa, 
in the early 400s. They said that, um, they claimed that they were making martyrs of them. And Augustine wrote him back, martyrs? There are no martyrs outside of the church. You've killed yourselves by your own obstinacy. And he killed 30,000 of them. He was a wicked man. Augustine was a wicked man. Killed 30,000 of them. But he said there's no, there are no martyrs outside of the church. He also said this, there's no salvation outside of the church. So now, if I say that as a Baptist preacher, there's no salvation outside of the Baptist church. Man, we are considered so schismatic and awful. Of course, I would never say that. There's no salvation outside of the personal work of Jesus Christ. And there are people saved from any number of religions. There are people saved in Catholic churches. There are people saved in Presbyterian or Lutheran. It would be really difficult to be saved in a Mormon church because they have a different Jesus. But as far as just standard Christian churches, people are saved in those churches. But you cannot be saved following Roman Catholic doctrine. Would you all agree with that? It's not the gospel of the grace of God. It is not. It's another gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That teaching of the universal church, that is a heinous heresy. There is one body. His name is Jesus. And every saved person is baptized into that body. And then the Bible does use at different times the word body for the local assembly because this church functions as a body, right? Somebody's the, the head, somebody's the foot, somebody's the the ear, the, you know, those illustrations that the Bible uses. That's the way that the church functions. It's really important that we understand that. But this concept of the one body, that is the body of Christ. And every saved person is baptized into that body. The idea of one body being a physical church on the earth, that's Roman Catholicism and that's false doctrine, false teaching. You all understand that? You all with me on that? Okay. Then there are the doctrines that are connected with the crucifixion. Let's just look at a couple of illustrations of that. Look at uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he justified us. That is, he declared us righteous. That's what his crucifixion did for us. And you find these things all through the scriptures. Romans 6, that death of Christ that we're baptized into. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How can that be? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. That's the, the teaching all through those passages. Then, the judicial and legal work and the decrees of God in regard to the completed atonement. All right? So because Jesus Christ, now the atonement, the word atonement is God's satisfactory payment, Christ's satisfactory payment. His blood, it atoned us. It, it's a satisfactory payment that he made for us. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, now God can decree things, declare things based on that sacrifice. That's why the book of Romans makes these statements. There is therefore now no condemnation. Those legal declarations, that justification, that's the legal declaration that you are not guilty because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. These are the things the Apostle Paul was teaching. Then the missionary call to preach the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 10. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him? 
in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Notice it doesn't say seen. It says heard. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. It's interesting. Notice it says how beautiful are the feet. Not how beautiful is the seat. You got to get up and go tell somebody. You got to get up and go. T- you can't just be sitting on your tail for the rest of your life. God needs you to go and tell someone about Jesus Christ. Amen. We can put that on a bulletin, on, on, on a billboard. Beautiful are the feet, not how beautiful are the seat. What are you doing for Jesus? Wouldn't that be good? Put a billboard out there. Then the content, message, and faith of the gospel. The content, message, and faith of the gospel. What the book of Romans does is it's a legal declaration. It's a doctrinal statement. It's an amazing treatise of truth. And that's what the Apostle Paul was teaching. Go back to Acts chapter 28. Verse 31. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So if you want to know what Paul was teaching in Rome, in Rome, he gave us the book of Romans to reiterate the teaching that he had given them, to write it down, to make sure that we had it for out, throughout all eternity. Why throughout all eternity? Because forever thy word, O Lord, is settled in heaven. Amen? Thou shalt keep them, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. We have the word of God. That's what Paul was teaching. And it's important that we understand those doctrines. We understand it. Um, one of the things that's really important for us to understand, you don't know something until you can tell it to someone else. Okay, let's say that out loud together. You ready? You don't know something until you can tell it to someone else. Could you explain what the atonement of Jesus Christ was? What the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ was? Can you explain that to people? Can you explain what spirit baptism is? Can you explain what the body of Christ is? You're going to get into conversations with people, and we need to be able to express these things from Scripture. If you would just spend some time studying the book of Romans, start in Romans chapter 1 and start looking at all of the cross-references that Paul gives us. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 1, God gives us the, the light of Christ through creation. Romans chapter 2, he gives us the light of Christ through our conscience. He's written it in the law of our hearts. You go to Romans chapter 3, and you get the light of Christ presented through the Scriptures. You, you start looking at all of that, all the way through the Scriptures. And, man, you'll just be able to testify for Christ so much better. Let's make sure that we're laboring in the Word and in doctrine. Amen? Don't just sit. I'm glad that you're here and you're hearing but now it's your job to study these things out. If I said things tonight that you didn't quite understand, you need to study those things out. You need to be able to express those things. It's really important that we do that. 